Guys, we're going to jump right into it. We are, uh, this is our second to the last week away from the end of Acts. We've studied through the entire book of Acts, not necessarily word for word, but certainly chapter by chapter, topic, theme by theme. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been extremely helpful, and um, I'm a little sad to be finishing it. Excuse me. But here we are anyways. Um, Almost done. Next week will be our final week in the book of Acts. Today, we are going to be looking at, some historians say, uh, arguably one of the most um, detailed accounts of an ancient boat journey in the ancient Near East. Um, The amount of details, the geography, um, the events that take place. And the Apostle Paul and a couple of his partners, his friends, from the city of Caesarea, ultimately all the way to the capital of the Roman Empire in the first century Rome, um, is quite an epic journey. And we're going to be looking at that. It's essentially the, the entire 27th chapter of Acts. And the thing we need to know You might want to jot this down, make a mental note of it, but anytime you're studying through the Christian scriptures, old or new, and you begin to read about a boat journey, pause, this is what you do, pause, close your Bible, set down your pen or your journal, whatever you do, pray, and say something like this, God, you're so very kind and gracious and patient and merciful. Whatever you're about to teach me, please be gentle. Because this is the nature of boat journeys in the Christian scriptures. It's never about just getting from point A to B. God seems to have this thing about wanting to teach his people amazing lessons uh, through boat journeys. So we're going to read one of them today. In fact, it's the final boat journey that we read about in the scripture, starting with uh, Noah and Genesis to Jonah to um, Jesus himself taking his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, now to Paul and um, a handful of others traveling from Caesarea here all the way to Rome. So, let's get into it. If you have a Bible, you might, you might want to actually grab one of the Bibles that we provide in the center aisle, because we're going we're gonna to do quite a bit of reading this morning. Hope you're okay with that. We don't always do a ton of reading, but the story really just, Acts chapter 27 sort of preaches itself. So we're going to read through most of it, not all of it. Um, of course, the words will be up there, so don't feel like you have to have a Bible up. But here we go. Acts chapter 27, let me just add the very, very end of Acts chapter 26, in case you weren't here last week or you didn't listen to the podcast. Essentially, Paul, the apostle, who has kind of been been the guy we've been following around, he's a follower of Jesus, uh, quite an exciting, radical encounter with Jesus. He became a Christian um, in quite an unexpected and spectacular way, and immediately he began to tell people about this king, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the actual king of Israel who had come not just to rescue the Hebrew people, but the entire world. And although he was crucified, 
He rose again on the third day, and Paul is determined to tell the world about our Savior, Jesus. So at the end of chapter 26, he finds himself being put on a stage in front of a king, his wife. Turns out it was actually King Agrippa's sister, but they had a little weird thing going. Uh, Bernice, Felix, the governor of that region, and a whole bunch of royal people. And he delivers this epic speech, which essentially was his testimony, his story of how he had met Jesus and was determined to tell the world about him. After that ends, he finally appeals to Caesar because Paul is a Roman citizen born in uh, the, the Roman Empire in Cilicia. And so he appeals to Caesar which is his right as a Roman citizen. It says, instead of you handing me back over to the Jews, who are really just going to assassinate me anyways in Jerusalem, I appeal to Caesar. And so the governor, as well as King Agrippa, Bernice, say, very well, that's your right. Get this kid on a boat, ship him off to Rome. And this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, one of Paul's companions. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius, the centurion, treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Let's just pause there. Um, don't you like this map? Thanks to Hannah Howie. Everyone loves the chalkboard. I love the chalkboard. So we start here, and uh, Paul boards a ship with some other prisoners who are presumably also being transported to Rome for, uh, for trial or whatever. And uh, he's allowed to take a couple of his companions with him. So Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, um, there was a church that Paul st- started in Thessalonica. And, of course, the person who's narrating the story, the writer of Acts, Luke. Dr. Luke, the physician and historian. So he's telling us the story. So Paul gets in a boat. Uh, led by Julius, and they travel for exactly one day to Sidon. And it says that when they arrived at Sidon, Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends to be cared for. He's given permission to get off the boat with his friends and hang out in Sidon for a night, apparently, because he had some friends there, and they were going to take care of him. Sounds like a great boat trip so far. Now, bear with me, but I'm going to do what's called um, creative exegesis. Okay? Now, Paul does this all the time. Exegeting scripture basically means uh, extracting principles, finding meaning uh, metaphorically sometimes, spiritually sometimes in the scripture. So as I mentioned a minute ago, we're not, this is not just a boat journey. Okay, this is God saying something rather profound, um, and that's what we want to zoom in on as we, we track Paul's journey across the Mediterranean. So let me make this point. 
The boat journey starts out really, really nice. So nice, in fact, that Paul's allowed to get off the boat with his friends and hang out inside for a night and, and to receive care by some of his, his mates. Um, it's important to remember that Paul was not an enemy of Rome. Paul was an enemy of uh, the Jews. The Hebrews wanted him dead. He was the one traveling around the Roman Empire, uh, severely upsetting the fine balance, the fine political balance that the, uh, the Israel people had with the Roman Empire, the ruling empire. Paul was going around preaching that King Jesus had come to liberate not only his people in Israel, but the world. And this was, this was bad news the fine political balance between Israel and Rome. So the Jews wanted him dead. Rome, they're like, gosh, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would have been happy just to let him go. As far as we can tell, he's just a a bit of a religious fanatic, but what do we care? So he's treated favorably. Now, let's, let's, let's work the metaphor a little bit. Have you ever been on a boat journey in your life? Have you ever actually been on, have you ever been on a cruise? Yeah? I heard they're nice. Where'd you go? Uh, Okay. Little Mexican cruise? Honeymoon? No. No? Okay. 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 You guys, I don't even, you're probably not even married. I don't know. Okay. Never mind. (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) Any plans? No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Never mind. We'll talk later. I'm so sorry. And your visitors, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so I'm killing it. I'm killing it. This is what happens when you visit a small church plant. It's just you get picked out of the crowd. I'm so, so sorry. I'm going to focus on these people now. I feel very embarrassed. Okay. So the journey started out well. And uh, this, this, is, this is a metaphor for life. All right. This is what I'm getting at. If you determine to follow Jesus, guys, like just even in life, oftentimes you get a vision, you get excited about something, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it is marriage, maybe it's a new job, maybe it's a career, maybe it's moving to a new city, maybe it's being a part of a church plant in Portland. Typically, when we get an idea, we get excited about it, we have visions of, of, you know, delusions of grandeur about it, And it usually goes well for at least a day. At least a day. Everyone's really excited about the new thing. But let's go on. Now, they leave leave Sidon. Let's draw here. They go around uh, this little guy here. They go along the Asian coast. And they end up landing in Mira, where apparently they changed boats. Uh, there was a ship there that had come from, the, um, from Alexandria in Egypt. Apparently, it was a grain barge. Uh, they get on that boat, and they travel several more days until they land in a city uh, just on the coast of the Aegean Sea called Cnidus, or Snidus. And this is what it says there. 
in verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Um, Now, in fact, sorry, slight correction here. At this point, they've actually made their way all the way to the island of Crete. And they've stopped off at a nice little port called Fair Havens. And this is where Paul says, Sirs, I perceive that if we continue on from here, it's not going to go well. We will experience injury and much not loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. We're going to die. He says that the fast had already passed. Around this time, it would be early October, Paul mentions that the fast had already passed. He would have been referring to the uh, Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. The Jews would have considered that the day uh, beyond which it was not wise to sell anywhere in the open waters. And so Paul's saying, guys, look it, I really think this is a bad idea. If we go on from here, there's a very good chance we're going to die. And what happens? The centurion pays uh, no attention to him, but he listens to the pilot and the owner of the ship. And then finally it says the majority decided to put out from sea. Let's go back to our metaphor. Okay, so the journey starts out well for about a day. Maybe we switch ships. Maybe some more people come on. Some people leave. And eventually, eventually we find ourselves at the stage in our journey where we begin to wonder, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a good idea to continue on from here. Fair Havens sounds like a decent place to spend the winter, right? I mean, Fair Havens, that's got to be a sign from the Lord. But the centurion, the pilot, the owner of the ship, the majority apparently uh, has a different opinion on the matter. And Paul is overruled. So now he's gone from a pleasant voyage to he really is a prisoner on this boat. Have you ever felt like you got on a boat, metaphorically speaking, you started on a journey, perhaps with a group of people, a community, as it were, and It started out well, but then something happens, and you're convinced that it would probably be best that we just pause right here. In fact, I wouldn't mind if we just set up camp. And you feel like your opinion really doesn't matter. Could be your work, could be your family situation, et cetera, et cetera, life. Have you ever felt like you were just along for the ride? And with every, every inch, every additional mile, every, every decision, you can feel resentment 
subtly beginning to rise. Like these people, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if I'm happy to be on this boat anymore. I don't know if I'm particularly excited about this voyage that I'm now on. It started out great. Everyone was cool. Everyone was having a party. Julia seemed to be like cool with me. He let me get off the boat, chill with my mates. And now, apparently, I don't have an opinion. And now, apparently, uh, my ideas don't count. And yet, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on this boat. Have you ever been there? Um, look, I've been a pastor for, vocationally speaking, since about 2003. Yeah, 2003. In 2006, I, uh, I had the opportunity to move to the UK. I had some friends there who happened to be a part of this the same sort of family of churches that Grace City is a part of called Every Nation. And my buddy Franz, South African guy, uh, looked me up. We'd met down in L.A., Few, few years previous to that point, and he invited me to move to London and, and join the church there to be a part of what they were doing, taking the gospel to the UK and Europe, and I thought, that sounds amazing. So I went, I prayed about it, packed my bags, my whole life in two suitcases, moved to the US, single, it was an adventure. And it started out really, really great. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was like, it's like the ultimate adventure. As time went on, you know, what, you know what ended up happening? My buddy Franz, and I, great guy, quality dude, he totally tricked me into moving to, to the UK. Less than like three months went by, and he said, oh, by the way, I'm actually moving back to South Africa, so um, you get my job. I was like, well, I don't want your job. Why didn't you tell me that before I left the United States? Like, what are you doing? And in a matter of months, I felt like I had, I had gotten on this journey. I'd started this voyage that I, I couldn't get off. I was, in a way, I was stuck on this thing. Um, and I'll say a little bit more about how that worked out in the end. But it's difficult when you find yourself a part of something, a community, a project where started out great, but then all of a sudden, you're like, I don't know if I trust these people anymore. I, I'm beginning to suspect they may not have my best interests at heart. And you begin to wrestle with some of those emotions, and you begin to experience the feelings of being drugged along. Are you guys with me? Does this have anything to do with real life? Okay. Fairhavens, I think, is where we left off. Let's, let's go further. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed to Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Kada. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Um, after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Next slide, please. Then fearing 
that they would run aground on the Sirtis. The Sirtis, um, apparently, if you Google it, it's like these massive sandbars that exist just off the coast of Libya, and boats were terrified of getting uh, stranded, stuck on these massive sandbars. So, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. They are are beginning to get desperate. Verse 19, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Okay, that is a sign of we're beginning to give up. We're beginning to lose hope. No tackle, no fish, no fish, no food, no food, we die. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest storm lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So at this point, there's some place around here out in the middle of the Mediterranean, fearing getting stranded on massive sandbars. They've jettisoned their, uh, their, their only ability to, uh, to catch fish. They've tossed the cargo, um, and they've lost all ability to navigate through this storm. No sun, no stars, a storm that is not letting up. The conclusion is they lost all hope. Keeping in mind that this was Luke writing this. And he's not saying, gosh, we had faith, but man, the centurion, the pilot, the owner of the ship, the rest of the uh, passengers and prisoners, (laughs) they lost hope. No, this is Luke writing. All hope of our being saved was at last Abandoned. Guys, this is like, there is, there is no better a metaphor for the journey of following Jesus. Now, again, this is life, but I would argue if in your life you determine to follow Jesus, this is what Paul was doing. This is why he was so determined to get to Rome in the first place. At some point along the way, you will come to the utter end of yourself. This is the way of the cross. This is when you realize that fulfilling uh, the plan that God has for your life, if I can put it that way, It is utterly beyond yourself. Do you guys realize that? Let me say this. If you're not a Christian, if you're like, well, maybe I kind of am, but I don't know, really. I'm checking things out at this point in my life. Okay, you need to be told in no uncertain terms that if you desire to truly experience the life of grace, if you want to experience the kind of redemption And the the transforming power of God that Jesus offers his disciples, those that would lose their life and follow him, this is what you must expect. It doesn't sell many Bibles, but it's the truth. 
Jesus calls us to experience a life and to go on a journey that surpasses our own ability, our own means, our resources, our intellect, our courage. The journey is too great. It's a miracle that anyone might ever follow Jesus to the end. Does that encourage you? Does it? That's weird. (laughs) Hmm. The storm, it's raging. Slowly but surely, with their own hands, they throw the tackle overboard. See, there's stages to this. There's stages to this. The journey starts out great. You get deeper, you get further. It gets more intense. They could have stayed at Fair Havens. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. When Paul was saying, Sirs, I perceive that we might die. Maybe we should chill out here. Was that Paul being spiritual? Or was that Paul just being like, Look, let's not be fools. It's October. Okay, we should stop here. And yet, the centurion, the pilot, the owner of the ship, the majority all decided, now let's keep going. Why would they do that? Sometimes, I believe God hijacks our little, our little agenda, our little uh, our plans, our safe, predictable, comfortable plans. And he says, no, um, I'm going to use... Uh, the centurion, I'm going to use the, I'm going to use the people that are like annoying the bejeebus out of you right now. The people you think are ruining your lives because you're like stuck on this boat with them. And, and we're going to take this just a little bit further. And that's what we see happening. Have you ever experienced that moment? And it happens like at seasons, at times, intervals throughout the life of a Christian where you're like, oh my goodness, like I I thought when I got saved, I like gave up everything. And then, you know, from there, it's like just onwards and upwards to heaven. And yet you discover along the way, my goodness, Jesus is like systematically, periodically in my life teaching me how to die to self and take up my cross that I might experience his life. And it just sort of keeps happening throughout life. Not to paint this like utterly depressing picture of like, oh my goodness, like this just sounds like utter martyrdom. Oh, partly, yeah, that, I guess that is what we're talking about. Some people do die for their faith. But it's, it's what we're looking for. It's, it's what Jesus referred to as abundant life, losing our life, even, even if it costs us our actual life, that we might gain life and experience what it feels like to truly be following our creator, our maker, King Jesus. And so we, we go through these moments, these seasons of our lives. So have you ever experienced this? 
it usually will tap right into the core of your identity. So I find typically it's, it's not so much to do with like circumstances and like these external things that for the most part we, we can manage unless something, you know, something to do with our health or just really catastrophic takes place. But the storm seems to rage inside here someplace and we feel like our identity is beginning to like collapse. And it's in those moments where we've jettisoned the cargo, we've thrown the tackle overboard, and we still have lost all hope. I can't even see the stars. I don't even know if I'm still moving in the right direction. And we feel utterly hopeless. I would encourage you to, to, to use Luke as a model. Don't be afraid to articulate your hopelessness. If in fact that's, that's where you're at, if you're at one of those stages in life, it's okay to say, look, I, I, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I, I, I believe that the Bible is the word of God, but can I be like really honest about how I'm feeling right now? That is, that is okay. In fact, I think that's incredibly healthy. But we must go on. We need to go on. Verse 21. Here's what happens next. Here's what Paul does. Since they had been without food for a long time, weeks, maybe, maybe over a month, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. Okay. Church principle, number 16. No. I love that. First thing you do when you're getting ready to make your speech in front of the people who are like killing you, I told you so. You should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete, fair havens, and incurred this injury and loss. Verse 22, yet, now I urge you to take heart. Every hit song has a killer hook. You know what I mean by that? Think of your favorite song. You can hear the hook in your mind right now. It's just that melody that you could like just hum for days and never get sick of it. Guys, this is the hook. We lost hope yet. This is the hook that resounds over and over and over from Genesis to Revelation, this is the hook that defines the story of God. That when it seems all hope is lost, even in the face of death, the follower of Jesus would stand up and say, I told you so. No, we don't actually have to say that. Yet. In the face of hopelessness, yet. When all seems lost, yet. When you've given up trying to figure out which way's up, which way's down, and it seems like there's no figuring this mess out yet. Guys, I'm, I'm being slightly melodramatic, but I feel really passionate about this word yet. This is, this, is, this is why we follow Jesus into the storm. This is why we can face death 
in the face and say, yeah, but yet, my king conquered death. Even when it seems like all is lost yet, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Next slide, please. And he said, the angel said to Paul, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. <laughs> have faith, <laughs> but we're going to wreck. Okay. I like how the... the, the, the the message that the angel, the thing that God said to Paul, was said, look, you're going to lose the ship. Everything's going to be lost except life. This, this is important. This is significant. Guys, we spend all our lives, I do it, you do it, everyone does it, building our empires. Our stuff, our gadgets, our homes. We're about to buy a house. I, I've said it a few times. I'm excited. Okay, by the end of the month, we're buying our first home. Super excited about that. But it's just a house. It's just a house. It's so important for us to remember, guys, especially as a church community, we can become so attached to our ships. I love this building. I consistently remind myself, guys, this is just a loaner. It's, it's on loan to us. I hope that we're able to, to reach so many people with the good news of Jesus in this city that we just, we just end up outgrowing the building. I'm, you know, not, I'm, I'm not into the numbers thing, whatever, but I am really, really into telling people about Jesus. And if that means the community of Jesus growing, awesome, let's do that. Or if Door of Hope the church that so graciously rents us this building says, hey, it's been real, but we kind of need our building back, like we got some other things going on, so be it. It's not about the building. It's not about our stuff. It's not about anything other than life. This is what God is about. And he uses the stuff. I mean, for sure, this building, I think, is a gift from God. And I'm, I'm, I feel very humbled to have been... Um, entrusted with this building. It's like a stewardship. But at the end of the day, guys, forget the ship. Forget the cargo. Forget the tackle. It's about people. It's about lives. It's about my kids and my wife. If we ended up renting a house or a series of different houses for the rest of our lives, who cares? Amen. It's about life. It's about people. Guys, that's, we need to remember that. So don't be afraid. He says, um, where are we? Verse 24, 26. He says, God has granted you all those who sail with you. 
Let's go on. Verse 29. And again, fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I'm telling you, this story is just packed full of nuggets. What are your anchors? Let's ask that question. Okay? What are your anchors? If you have hope, it must be in something. If Paul has the audacity to stand up and say, brothers, I get it, I get it, it's bad, it's really, really bad, yet God has spoken to me, and I believe, I have faith that God is not a liar, and that he values our life, not just mine, but everyone on the boat. So let's throw our anchors in the water and wait for the dawn. Sometimes it comes to that. In fact, that's the next step in the progression of the story. You gotta throw your anchors in the water and trust that God's not a liar and believe that the sun is gonna come up. What are your anchors? I suggest you make one of your anchors. If you wanna follow Jesus seriously, make God's word, make the scriptures one of your anchors, if not the primary anchor. Like if, all other, if the other three anchors break off, keep this anchor in your life firmly. Let it be an anchor for your soul. What are your other anchors? What are the things when everything else has been thrown overboard? When nothing, everything else that you've tried hasn't worked and so you've been forced to chuck it over the side of the boat? What are you left with? Anchors. You put the anchors in the water and you hope for dawn. Almost done. Now, what happened in between, I left out verse 30 just to save a little bit of time, but basically, apparently some of the, uh, the sailors thought, now's our time uh, to get off this boat. So they started to lower the little, um, what do you call it? The what? Thank you. The life raft. The little boat they would use to get off the boat and, and get onto the shore. They lower it, pretending to be like working on the anchors. And Paul quickly says, no, 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 stop them. God has explicitly said that it's not just about me. It's not just about a few. It's about all of us. They need to stay on the boat. Otherwise, they won't survive. And so now the centurion's listening, and he says, stop those guys, because unless these men stay in the boat, you cannot be saved. Church precedent number 16. Here we go. In the community of Jesus, salvation is a group project. Unless you stay in the ship, we are not all right. Guys, I've been waiting for this precedent for 27 chapters. In the community of Jesus, salvation is a group project. For sure, individuals are saved. And I have responsibility as an individual. And I have a personal relationship with my God. Because when you read the scriptures, you find over and over and over again, the salvation is virtually always spoken of in terms of family, community, nation, 
Of course, we have examples of individuals encountering Jesus and experiencing salvation, but the ramifications are always communal. It's never just about the individual. That, of course, we, now we all know that this is our Western dilemma. We've just, we're all painfully, tragically individualistic. And it's so important for us as a church to remember that as we experience the salvation of God, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about us. And if you're going through a storm in your life and you are feeling severely tempted to like hijack the dinghy, don't do it because it's not just about you. Stay on the boat because salvation is a community, a family, a group project. You matter. You being here this morning matters. Do you know that? This is why the local church is such a big deal. Call it, call it a second anchor. Community. Fellowship. Guys, you being here, and I'm just going to say it. Forgive me if you just hate this part. But guys, being present consistently as we gather together on a Sunday morning is a really, really big deal. It's important to the health of the family, the community of Jesus. It really is. When we begin to decide merely as individuals, "Eh, what am I going to do this morning? I don't know. What do I feel like? I don't know. Maybe I'll go listen to Simon Ramble on. Maybe I'll go over here. I don't know. know, Maybe I just won't go anywhere. Maybe I'll just take a break. That's that's selfish. That's self-centered. And that's forgetting that that we're in something together. We're all in this boat, like it or not. And my salvation is wrapped up in yours. And I'm not talking about going to heaven. That is a part of it. That is our eternal destiny, to be sure. But along the way, guys, this is a community. Um, this is a, a group project. So that's church precedent, number 16. Let's finish up. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense. Two weeks wandering around in the dark, this big old body of water. 14 days have gone by. You've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Guys, Luke is using the exact same wording that he used to describe Jesus breaking bread, sharing the Last Supper with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. It's the exact same wording. Luke is not being subtle. He wants us to not miss this. That when dawn finally breaks, when the sun finally comes up and hope begins to arise, the first thing Paul does is he begins to worship his king. He remembers, 
I got through this because of my God, because he made a promise to me and he's faithful. And he does it in front of the whole boat, 276 passengers, including Paul and his companions. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Let's go to the final slide. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And finally, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. They ended up shipwrecking on Malta. We'll get to Rome next week. Guys, we're going to take a few minutes uh, to respond. Quite an epic journey. A lot of hopefully valuable points to, to think about, to apply. Can I have the band come up on stage, please? Let me, let me pose this question. What's your Rome? Where are you trying to get to in life? Paul, he started this journey to Rome a long time ago. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus um, about 25 years prior to this, this little journey across the Mediterranean. He'd been determined to get to Rome for some time because his great passion in life was to make sure the entire known world heard the good news about Jesus, the king who'd conquered death. What's your Rome? What are you most passionate about in your life? Because if you don't know what that is, there, it's possible you're going to get on some boat anyways. We're all on our uh, proverbial boats. Where are you going? When the storm hits, if your Rome's anything less than Jesus' destiny for your life, his plan the reason why he gave you life in the first place, the reason why he came to die for you and I, that I'm, I'm afraid you, you, will, you will not have the motivation to carry on. You'll be like, where are we going again? Let's just, let's just park it here. And you might just spend most of your life chilling in fair havens. Paul wanted to. That kind of encourages me, actually. It's helpful at different points along the way in our life to just take a step back and ask yourself the question, like, what, what am I about? What am I living for? What's my final destination? What would I give up anything for? Second question, 
who you in the boat with? Who are your people? Because guys, we, we never do it alone. We don't do it alone. We don't follow Jesus alone. We don't carry our cross alone. Even Jesus couldn't carry his cross alone. Said Simon of Cyrene had to help him along the way. He fell. Some random guy in the crowd had come along and helped Jesus pick up his cross and carry it to the hill. Who are the lives that count in your life? Forget your, your, you know, I shouldn't say it like that. Okay, your dream, the things you aspire towards, what you're building, that's all super important and a part of the destination. But what's most important is the people. The people. We don't want to start chucking people overboard like, well, get this guy out. <laughs> no, he's not cargo. It doesn't matter. He's, he's weighing us down. He's in the way. If that was the case, gosh. So in London, I was there nine years and Towards the end, it got super, super rough. Um, lovely church, lovely people, hated the boat. I was on a boat that I did not want to be on. And uh, I've never really struggled with depression in my life, except for that summer. I think that was the only time I can honestly say I got like properly depressed. I just slipped into this like funk that it's like I, th- I think this is I think I'm actually experiencing depression. This this sucks. I wanted to bail. Oh, I wanted to bail so bad. Everything in me wanted to just bail. And I kept praying. I remember spending hours and hours and hours sort of uh, pacing around in my backyard, praying, crying, just talking to God. God, can I go? Please, can I go? Give me an open door. Give me a something. Like, just let me, please, I want off this boat. And God kept telling me, don't bail. Don't leave. Don't run. When it's time, I'll send you. When it's time. And God kept reminding me that me leaving London, me leaving behind that, that church family and that community and those people who, who I had shared life with, my leaving was going to affect them. And it, it did. It affected them just as much as it did me. Eventually, God said, okay, it's time. And that's a whole other story, how that actually came about. And I didn't get on a boat, but I got on a plane. Me and my family, the five of us, a few suitcases, we began a new boat ride. I had no idea that we would have ended up here. In a way, I would say we just sort of washed up on the shore. Washed up onto the shore, the, the Oregon coast. Didn't pick it, didn't premeditate it, didn't desire it. I just got on the boat. And I'm really, really glad that God just decided to hijack my, my plans. I don't want to be any place else. The reason why we're buying a house is because we really, really, really want to stay here like forever. I'd be happy to die here in a few years. Okay, we need to, we need to end here. Can we stand together?